to turn in your Bibles with me to, to Romans chapter 12. We began a series a couple of weeks back on faith, and we have determined, or purposed, perhaps I should say, that we're just going to talk about the subject of faith until it seems right for us to go to something else. I don't have a plan for how many services we'll, uh, we'll make up this series, but I just believe there are some things I have in my heart that there are some things that we need to talk about and take some time and spend some time to explain and to give examples so that each one of us can see our faith grow and receive from God what Jesus has done for us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul speaking by the Spirit of God said, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now notice in the King James, which I'm reading from, the uh, two words of himself are in italics. That means the translators added them. Now it's not a bad addition, but it's just not the only thing that he's talking about. Certainly we would not want to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But we shouldn't think of anything more highly than we ought to think. We should renew our minds, which is what verse 2 just referred to. We should renew our minds so that we think in line with what the Word says in any and every situation. So let's omit that when we read this verse for the time being at least. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. The word sober uh, means the root of the word sober. means not moved by emotions. Not moved by emotions. But to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Notice it's not a measure of faith. It's the measure of faith. In other words, God starts us all out on the same place. We all start off with the same measure of faith. Now the Bible talks about different types of faith. It talks about little faith and great faith. It talks about weak faith and strong faith. It talks about sincere faith. So we see that faith is measurable. We see that faith can grow or diminish. But God starts us off, all of us off at the same place. We all have the measure of faith. Now in Luke chapter 17... Jesus is talking to his disciples about forgiveness. One of the disciples asked, how often should I forgive my brother if he sins against me and repents? Is seven times enough? And Jesus responds and says, no, seven times 70 would be enough. And the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Now they understood something really important that a lot of Christians seem to miss out on today, and that is forgiveness is an act of faith not a result of our feeling. See, a lot of people won't forgive because they have bad feelings towards someone. And they're waiting and supposing that whenever these bad feelings or hurtful feelings go away, then they'll be able to forgive. But folks, forgiveness is an act of faith. It's a product of your heart, not a product of this physical realm, not a product of your physical body, not a product of your emotions. Faith has to be, uh, I'm sorry, forgiveness has to be a matter of your spirit, an exercise of your spirit. So the disciples hear Jesus say that we have the capacity to forgive seven times 70 when somebody does us wrong on purpose, purposefully. And so they said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus told them how faith works. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, the grain of mustard seed was, uh, uh, or the mustard seed was the smallest of all the seeds that... Um, that exist, I guess. And so Jesus is saying faith even in the smallest measure, faith even in the smallest amount can work if you speak. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say unto this sycamine tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it should obey you. So he's telling us that faith in the smallest measure, if it's real faith, faith always speaks. Faith always speaks. Now, we see several places in the Scripture that informs us about what faith does when it speaks. You remember, for example, in Mark chapter 11, in verse 22, 
Jesus responding to Peter when he noticed that the fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before was withered away. Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. Now, the, the original Greek says, have the faith of God. Now, folks, remember, God has dealt to each one of us the measure of faith. So this God kind of faith that Jesus is referring to in Mark chapter 11 is the same faith that we have a measure of. And so Jesus said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. What other kind of faith would God have other than the God kind? So Jesus says, have the faith of God, or as we say, the God kind of faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So Jesus is saying that the God kind of faith is the mountain moving faith. Well, Romans 12, 3 says you've got a measure of that mountain moving faith. You have the capacity to move mountains. Now, in another place, it says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, it says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that that which does appear was not made of things that do appear. The English is a little bit difficult for us, but it's simply saying everything about this physical realm, everything we see and know about our earth, this planet, this creation, came about by God speaking words. It came about by God speaking words. Now, we know he's talking about the creation account that, uh, that we have record of in Genesis chapter 1. So the God kind of faith, the faith that God used to create the world, is this same faith, this same mountain-moving faith. You have a measure of the mountain-moving faith, and you have a measure of the faith that created the world. Now, folks, this is either true or it's not. It's either real or it's not. Now, the Bible says there are six times in the Scriptures, one in the Old Testament and five in the New, where it says that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, we've already seen and looked at. We're just recapping some things that we've looked at previously. We've already seen that faith in the smallest measure, faith in any measure, speaks. And the power in those words that we speak will move mountains. And it's the same kind of faith that God created the universe. The just shall live by their faith. Well, then if we put these things together, faith always speaks. Faith in any measure speaks, and the just shall live by faith. Then we can understand that the Bible is saying the just shall live by their profession or their confession of faith. You live by your confession of faith. Jesus said when he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, or verse 3, Satan tempts him and says, If you're the Son of God... Command that these stones be made bread. And Jesus answered in verse 4, Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's saying that faith does the same thing for your spirit that bread or food does for your physical body. Faith is, uh, or the Word of God is designed to feed your spirit. To feed your spirit. Now, since faith can be greater or smaller, it can be either strong or weak. But God starts us off all with the same measure of faith, the measure of faith. Again, it's not a measure of faith. You have a measure, I have a measure. We all start off with the measure of faith. Then what happens to our faith, whether we grow it or whether it diminishes? is up to us and not God. It's up to us and not God. Now turn back with me to the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. The situation is such that Moses has been the leader of the children of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, revealing to them God's mighty hand. And all the miracles and the plagues and all the things that took place as a result of God sending Moses to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. They witnessed all these things. 
But you know the story how that a couple of years after they come out of Egypt, they come to the promised land, the edge of the promised land. Twelve spies go in to spy out the land. Ten of them come back with what the Bible calls an evil report. That evil report was very simply, they said that we can't take the land God gave us. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, had a good report. They said, yeah, the walls are big just like the others say. The armies of the people are strong just like the others say. But God's with us so we can do it. God's on our side so he'll lead us in. But the congregation believed the, ma uh, the majority report, which is almost always wrong. And the reason it's almost always wrong is because people, most people live out of their heads. They live out of their reasoning or they live out of their emotions rather than live out of their spirit. See, the ten spies' report was a reasoned report. It was an emotional report. And as such, it kept them out of the things of God. It kept them out of the land that belonged to them. Now, folks, the promised land already belonged to them. God said, I have given you this land. It already had belonged to them. As far as God was concerned, it's just a matter of going in and taking possession. And two of them, Caleb and Joshua, saw the same walls, saw the same cities, saw the same armies, saw the same circumstances, didn't deny any of that, but they simply said, in spite of everything that we see, in spite of the emotions that it might stir in us, in spite of the fears we may be feeling concerning the battles that are before us, God said he's on our side. And if God's on our side, what does it matter about the rest of it? Now, folks, that's what living from your spirit is like. That's what living by faith is like. Living by faith is not a denial of the circumstances. Living by faith is accepting the truth of God's word, no matter the circumstances that we face. So again, the just living by their faith, Caleb and Joshua were examples of that. They were living according to the words that they said. They were living by faith in God's word. So living by faith, or just living by faith, is living by your confession. Living by the things that you speak. Now in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, Moses is, uh, after the children of Israel failed to take the promised land, they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They experience all kinds of hardship. But God shows them his blessings too. In spite of the fact that they didn't take possession of the land that he gave them. The next generation, he said, would be the ones that take the land. And so here they're on the edge of the promised land again. And Joshua is taking over from Moses as the leader of the children of Israel. Moses is going off the scene. He's 120 years old. His strength is just as much as it was when he was younger. His eyes were not dim. His eyesight hadn't deteriorated, in other, in other words. He's just as strong as he was when he was a younger man at 40, according to the Bible. Folks, there must be some kind of benefits in walking with God. Amen. The Bible says in multiple places that the Lord renews our youth and renews our strength. Doesn't mean we'll never die. It means we don't have to die in the process of our Christian lives. And so God speaks to Joshua, and he gives in the means of success. Now, folks, God's no respecter of persons, according to the Bible, which means if God is better to Joshua than he would be to you and me, then we're going to have to tear out some pages that say that he's no respecter of persons. But if the principle of truth that he shares with Joshua, if he's really God and if he's really no respecter of persons, then that same principle that would make Joshua success in his job will make you and I success in our jobs. The same principle that he gives Joshua to make him a success in following God will make us a success in following God too. And notice what he says. Here's the principle. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now folks, how do you keep something from departing out of your mouth? Anytime you speak words, as soon as they leave your lips, they're gone. So how do you keep the word of God from departing from your mouth? By saying it over and over and over. 
Notice again the importance of words. The just shall live by their confession. Faith brings about a confession. Again, Jesus said, if you have faith in any measure, even the smallest measure, you'll say, you'll speak. Faith will produce words. And so living by faith means living by the words that we speak. And here he's telling Joshua that the secret of success, the basic underlying foundation of success comes back to our words. He said this book of the law, now that was the law of Moses, that's all they had at the time. But he's talking about the word of God. Thank God we've got more than they had. So when he says this word of God or this book of the law, he's really saying this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, he's saying the key to success, the foundation of success in any, in any life, in any situation for all of us is to speak God's word. So if the just are living by their faith, the just are living by their confession, then the, their just are intended and God's system is designed for the just to live by their confession of God's word. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Notice meditation as far as the Bible is concerned. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind of anything and getting quiet. Bible meditation is speaking the word of God to yourself over and over and over again. See, these Eastern religions want you to empty your mind. God wants you to renew it. It's the renewing of the mind that brings about spiritual growth, not the removing of your mind. So notice the principle. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then... After confessing the word of God day and night. After speaking God's word in your own life and in your own situations. Time after time after time. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Notice God doesn't even say he'll make your way prosperous. He says you do it. Now remember Genesis 1.26. Everything goes back to God's original plan. God's original plan never changes. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. God's original intent was for man to have dominion on the earth. And since God never changes, that means his, that's his present day intent. You're the one with authority on the earth. You're the one that determines what you will or will not have. It's your words that count. God gives us his words that are powerful full of life and power, the scripture says, so that we can choose or elect to use our authority by speaking God's word to bring about God's will in our lives. If you speak God's word, then the word of God that you speak brings about his will. But if we're speaking anything else, then we put our faith in other things rather than God and his word. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, folks, I want you to notice something. God's word reveals to us that there's two kinds of confession. There's a confession that puts the word of God in you. There's a confession that plants God's word in your spirit, in your heart. And then there's a confession that affects change in the, the earth, in this physical realm. The word of God is designed to do two things. It's designed to be in your mouth to change you. And it's designed to be in your mouth to change circumstances. Now we've all heard situations and stories about people that believe for something wild or outlandish and, and of course it didn't work. They made some kind of confession that was beyond reason or maybe even beyond the word of God. And God's not obligated to bring about anything outside of his word. 
That's why speaking the word is such an important thing for us. That's why speaking the word is necessary for us. Brother Hagin would say, continuously, find scripture that promises you what you're praying for. Because if you can find God's word on the subject, you can find his will. And speaking in line with God's will is what brings results in victory and blessing in our lives. But now contrast this in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 with Mark eleven twenty two through 24. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. He's saying speak the word 24 hours a day. Well, how can we do that? Well, you can't unless you're going to stay awake for 24 hours a day. But he's saying, speak the word of God day and night. Speak the word of God in any and every situation at every opportunity. Speak the word of God. He's telling us to fill our lives, fill our minds, fill our hearts with his word. It's amazing how few Christians, statistically, it's amazing how few Christians first think about what the word says in their lives or in the situations that they face. Now, people will confess anything and everything else in the world. But the concept of speaking God's word is so maligned by the devil and those who he influences. See, folks, God's not, or the devil's not trying to keep you believing the wrong thing. Because most believers know that they're supposed to believe the word. And given the choice, do you believe God's word? Asking the question, do you believe God's word? How many Christians are going to say no to that? We know we're supposed to. But turn around and say how many Christians confess God's word? How many Christians believe God's word by speaking it? You're in rarefied territory there. So this confession that God is telling Joshua that's the foundation to his success, to any area of success, is to speak the word to yourself. Speak the word to yourself. Now, here's why we do that. Here's why the Bible tells us to do that. You and I talk to ourselves all day long. We don't want to admit that we talk to ourselves. <laughs> but everybody does. Everybody talks to themselves all day long. The question is, what do we talk to ourselves about? Well, it's easy, and we've all experienced times where we couldn't get thoughts of failure or defeat out of our mind. Where the circumstances around us would lead us to reason or to fear. Some bad thing coming to pass. Losing our job. Being left by our loved ones. Whatever. And you listen to you more than you listen to anybody else. We all do. Your words carry more weight with you than anybody else's words will. You can have 50 people tell you that what you're wearing looks nice. And then look in the mirror and say, I can't stand this. I've learned over the years, as every husband will, that there are some questions that just have to be ignored. One way that you can deal with that is when you're asked those questions like, does this make me look fat? <laughs> or something similar. I always respond by saying, what does the word say? <laughs> I can't tell you how many arguments that has kept me out of. Because <laughs> the word doesn't say anything about it. <laughs> But you automatically shift the responsibility back over onto the individual. What does the word say? Now, folks, we can laugh about that, but there's a spiritual truth behind it. We can read what the Bible says about who we are in Christ and still believe ourselves that we're not what it says. And that's why it's so important that we have to train ourselves. And it is a training process. We have to train ourselves 
to speak what God's word says no matter how we feel, no matter what it looks like. Now, we've referred to this a couple of times already. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, these famous verses. That Jesus spoke about the subject of faith. As we said before, Jesus cursed the fig tree the day before and said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the next morning they came back by where that fig tree was and it was dried up from the root. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said, Master, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered in verse 22, Mark 11, 22. Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. As we mentioned before, the original translation says, have faith of God. Well, that's kind of difficult for the language. So that's, I guess that's the reason why the translators put have faith in God. And that's accurate too. We certainly want to have faith in God. But it goes further than that. Jesus is describing the faith of God. Or as we sometimes say, the God kind of faith. And again, let's ask the same question. What other kind of faith would God have other than the God kind? He certainly couldn't have the man's kind of faith because he's not a man. So Jesus describes to us and identifies the God kind of faith. Now remember, Jesus is the one that was tempted in Matthew 4, 4 and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus understands that the word is designed for man to speak, to claim its promises, to speak its blessings, the blessings of the word of God, I mean. So he says, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. Well, what's the God kind of faith look like? He describes it to us. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now notice the restriction there or the qualification in this verse. He says, and shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not doubt in his heart. That indicates to us that faith is going to have conflict. That indicates to us that there is a, a faith battle. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Well, there is a fight of faith. And the fight of faith is between the things that we see and feel and the truth of God's word. Now, notice when Jesus talks about the God kind of faith in Mark chapter 11, he's not talking about faith or putting faith into your own heart. He's not talking about planting the word of God or watering the word of God in your own heart or in your own spirit. Again, let me refer you to what we said before. There has to be two kinds of confession. There have to be. The first kind in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 is the faith that is put in your heart or planted in your heart. Designed to grow you spiritually. Designed for spiritual growth. Designed for your faith to increase. And we should have the same kind of faith that Smith Wigglesworth talked about an ever-increasing faith. In other words, we should, each one of us, through the knowledge of the Word and through the confession of the Word, should grow our faith daily. We talked about and used the example of George Muller, who back in the 1800s was responsible for the care and the feeding of over 10,000 orphans in three different orphanages in England. He said at the end of his life, he died at age 93. He said toward the end of his life that when he first started believing God, nobody had um, radios to share their ministry efforts. Nobody had mailing lists. Nobody had any, any way. He didn't have any way to communicate with people, a mass of people, to get help or support or partners or anything like that. He had to believe God himself for the care of these over 10,000 children through his lifetime. And he said of that, he said, when I first started off, it was all I could do to believe God for six pence. I don't know how much six pence is, 
but it must have been a small number. But he said, by feeding and exercising my faith daily on God's word, I was able to believe for a million pounds easier than I was, than I, uh, easier than I could that first sixpence when I started. Faith is designed to grow. Faith was intended by God to grow in your heart and in mine so that as a result of that faith in our hearts, then we could speak to situations and circumstances and effect a change. I think a lot of times people are still in the planting the word of God and watering the word of God, growing the, the faith of God in our own spirits when we think we're further along and try to change circumstances. The Bible says Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he able to perform that which he said that he would do. But he didn't get there overnight. We see that after 24 years when God talked to him about the birth of Isaac, he's given up all, uh, con uh, completely. He's not even holding on to that promise anymore. Well, he certainly didn't build his faith during those first 24 years, at least not in this area, the area of having a child. You know, that's, that brings up another point that I think is important to mention. Faith works the same in every area, but that doesn't mean you're as strong in faith in one area as you are in another. For example, John G. Lake, who some say, some that witnessed his ministry, say may have had a ministry that rivaled the Apostle Paul more than anybody since Paul walked the earth. He understood spiritual authority and dominion and changed things in the, in the continent of Africa, particularly southern Africa, in a way that nobody ever has or, uh, before or since. The authority and dominion that he exercised over sickness and disease and over the works of the devil is like reading the same thing as the, as the Gospels. The phenomenal results he had, both in the southern part of Africa and then when he came back to the States in Spokane, Washington. He had healing rooms there in Spokane, Washington. And they had over hundreds of thousands of doctor reports and testimonies of people that were healed many of them from incurable conditions and sicknesses. But Lake had trouble with finances all of his ministry <clears throat> throughout the entirety of his life. <clears throat> Excuse me. He wasn't able to believe God for finances in the same way that he was for healing and the exercise of his authority. Excuse me a minute, I'll, I'll say that again. <clears throat> He had trouble with finances for the entirety of his life. He talked about it. He said, I know the Bible says things about God meeting our needs. He said, I see the material promises and provision scriptures that are for us. But he never could make them work. Now, you can't say he wasn't a man of faith. Because of the faith that he exercised concerning sickness and disease and authority. Spiritual dominion and such. You can't say that he didn't have faith. But he said, and, and the, there's several tragic things that happened in his life and ministry that could have been avoided if he had developed his faith in the area of finances. Now, why couldn't he or why didn't he? I have no idea. I'm certainly not in a position to throw rocks because of the results he got in other areas. But there were people that he took, ministers that he took upon himself to provide for, that because of his, well, I, I want to say this right, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but there were missionaries that died on the mission field because he was unable to get them resources. Well, that certainly wasn't the will of God. That certainly wasn't God's plan. But as strong in faith as he was in the area of dominion over the devil, as strong as he was in the area of authority over sickness and disease, 
he just never was able to somehow to develop his faith in the area of finances. Folks, we need to develop our faith in every area. We need to feed our faith in every area. That means we should be confessing the Word of God, speaking the Word of God in not just one area of life, but in every area of life. So here's Jesus telling us about the God kind of faith, what it does and how it looks. And he showed us by example by speaking to the tree. So he very simply said, here's what the God kind of faith does. It's, it belongs to whosoever. That means anybody and everybody. If the whosoever of John 3.16 means me, then the whosoever of Mark 11.23 means me. John 3.16, we all know that one. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What's the difference in that whosoever and this whosoever? Jesus said it belongs to and will work for anybody. It'll work for everybody that meets the criteria. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Again, he's talking about winning the faith fight. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice something else about the God kind of faith. The God kind of faith has to believe in its words. Folks, I got to tell you, one of the first things that I had to do to begin living by faith was that I had to start telling the truth. Now, when I was a kid, you never saw somebody that would lie like me. <laughs> and it was always to gain attention. I wasn't malicious in my lies. I was just trying to get people to think something of me or more of me or whatever. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and there was a kid that came to our school that had moved there from Alaska. Well, he was the big cheese because everybody thought it was something big that he came from Alaska. Well, he would talk about it, and he got to realizing that everybody thought so well of him that he got real cocky about it. Oh, yeah, well, in Alaska, we'd do this, that kind of stuff. Well, I decided I was going to take him down a peg. <laughs> so we were talking one Monday in, in class. I was in like the third grade. And the teacher started asking, what would you do over the weekend? Well, I stuck my hand up and said, well, I went to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> How would you get there? Oh, we drove. I was a prolific liar, just not a very smart one. <laughs> now, folks, that's not the kind of lying I'm talking about. I had to become a person of my words. I had to specifically focus on my words so that I would only say what I mean and mean what I said. So I had to start doing things a little differently. If somebody asked me when I was going to be somewhere, I had to start telling them exactly when it was going to be. I had to begin to be precise in my words. And it was tough to begin with because I was so used to just being general about stuff, nonspecific. I didn't realize until the Lord brought me to this place. I didn't realize until the Lord showed me the importance of coming to the place and growing to the place where I believed me. And so I struggled with it. And there were certainly a lot of people that were confession police. And they were quick to tell me where I was making a wrong confession or doing the wrong thing. This was Bible school students. I found out pretty quickly that Bible school students are some of the stupidest people in the world. We think we know everything, 
But we don't know anything yet as we ought to. But it was a real struggle for me. I had to become precise in my words. I had to come to the point where I quit saying things for the benefit of somebody hearing what I'm saying. But specifically, speaking the truth and only the truth. That was a big part of the uh, steps for spiritual growth that, for me. A lot of people are too loose with their words and, and it affects their faith. You've got to believe in what you say. Now, folks, that comes down to two different things, two separate things or two steps specifically. One is we've got to believe. We've got to come to the place through study and meditation, speaking the word, confessing the word, studying the word. Paul told Timothy, study the word to show yourself approved unto God. There's a study to the word that's important for us if we're going to maintain or come to the place of spiritual growth and development that God wants us to. We need to study God's words. We need to, to, to study and understand the system of faith that God has set up. See, some of the things that we take for granted, some of those basic and simple truths and principles that we take for granted, like God has given us authority, that authority is exercised through our words. That's far in ground to most Christians. And most Christians, when they hear about your position of faith or your belief that confessing God's word brings possession into your life, they'll fight against that. Not just for themselves. They don't want you to do it either. They don't want you to be a person of faith. Because if you are a person of faith and it really does bring results, then that puts responsibility over on them for their own life and their own circumstances. And most Christians don't want to take responsibility for anything. So we need to study God's word to understand his system. See, folks, the fact is, by your words you are justified and by your words you are condemned. Whether you believe that or not, whether you ever believe that or not, that is the way that it works because that's the way God set it up. So we need to be fully persuaded as far as God's system of faith and confession is concerned. But then we need to have enough confidence in ourselves and in their, our own integrity. Doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. Doesn't mean we won't ever say anything that's wrong and have to apologize for it or whatever. There are things that we sometimes say that we're unable to keep and we need to make that right when we come to the realization of it. But that doesn't do away with the fact that we need to believe in our own integrity. We need to believe in the integrity of our own words. And one of the things that it did in my life, one of the things, that the major changes that it brought about in my life is that I realized that until I get a handle on being able to believe in my words, I needed to just shut up. So I spent a good two or three years just shut up. I didn't hardly say anything to anybody under any circumstances. I found out that I wound up having a lot less things to repent of that way. <laughs> but it created a pattern that brought about many spiritual benefits and results for me. I found out that the Bible says that even if a fool keeps his mouth shut, he's thought to be wise. That's part of the fight of faith, folks. So again, what Jesus said, whosoever belongs to anybody, not just him because he's the son of God, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Well, if he's talking about not doubting in his heart, then he's got to be talking about believing in his heart. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, that's an absolute truth. There's no middle ground. It's not sometimes you'll have what you say. 
It's either you'll always have what you say or it's nothing. If it's nothing, Jesus is a liar. There is no salvation available to mankind. We might as well just party down until the end of mankind. There is no middle ground on this. Jesus either told us the absolute truth or he absolutely lied to us. So I had to come to the place where I believed in my own words. Now that's not just a one-time thing and you're done. But for me, to begin with, it became a matter of integrity. From that point, spiritual growth became a process of being persuaded. Fully persuaded, as the Bible says of Abraham. Fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Wouldn't it be nice if that just happened overnight? Wouldn't it be nice if we just grew spiritually in an instant? All of a sudden became spiritually mature, became as spiritually mature as humanly possible, and could just walk on from there. But it's a process. Now here's one thing I've noticed in over 35 years, 6 years, getting close to it now anyway. In the years pastoring this church, one of the things I've identified and found in, in many situations is that a lot of the people that are trying to be operate according to the Mark eleven twenty three faith are still in the Joshua 1, 8 faith. In other words, they think they're at the point, they think they're at the place of spiritual maturity where they're speaking to the mountains and to the circumstances and expecting them to change. But they're still in the watering and growth process of confession, the confession of Joshua 1, 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt have make for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. See, that's personal growth. That's talking about growing in the knowledge of God's word, growing in the truth of God's word, planting the word of God in your heart, watering the seed through confession. So that you grow to the place where you can have confidence in God and confidence in the power of God's word. So that Mark eleven twenty three 23 will work for you. Now what, we, what should we do if we're still in the Joshua 1, 8 place? And, and honestly folks, I don't believe you ever get out of it in one sense. No matter how your faith grows in one area, there's always going to be some other area that we can grow and develop in our faith. Which brings us back to the place that Joshua 1.8 identifies. God is so big. God is so good. His word is so rich. That we're always going to be growing in his word. We're always going to have the need to confess his word. Maybe in a new area. I know a lot of people are trying to confess for healing. And they would do themselves a great service if they would begin to confess God's word on righteousness. Because in some cases the thing that's holding them back from receiving their healing is this, this sense or feeling or idea that they're not worthy. Well, how are you going to overcome that? Only by the, God, the knowledge of God's word concerning righteousness. So a lot of people that are confessing for healing ought to be confessing, for, confessing the righteousness of God. Because, folks, the reason that healing is available to us is because Jesus made things right through his sacrifice. Jesus making things right through his sacrifice means he made you righteous. No matter what sin you may be stumbling over. See, your individual sin, the things that the devil uses as proof that you are unworthy or that you are unrighteous, those things aren't big enough to negate the fact that God made you righteous when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Amen. One of the hardest things I ever learned to do was to confess my righteousness in the, uh, in the presence of my own personal sin. And oh, the devil gave me a hard time about that one. He screamed in my ear, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. And I had to respond the way Jesus did. Well, it's written in the Word that God made Jesus to be sin for me who knew no sin 
that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I may not be living up to righteousness in the fullness of thereof, but it doesn't change the fact that I've been made righteous. That's one of the biggest steps of spiritual growth I ever took. Because I found that the more and more that I would do that, the more and more I'd confess my righteousness, even in the process or the, the presence of sin that I had stumbled over, I found that righteousness beginning to take root. Folks, you can go a long way on, on the knowledge, the truth, the absolute truth that you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. That'll take you a long way in God. Well, what do we do if we find ourselves trying to speak the Mark eleven twenty three 23 kind of faith when we're still in the Joshua 1, 8 kind of faith? Just keep saying it. Just keep saying it. Jesus told us that the whole kingdom of God was like a man speaking words into the earth. And the earth that's talking about there is his own spirit. He said the whole kingdom of God is like that. The whole kingdom of God revolves around confession of God's word. Everything does. That's why Brother Hagin coined the phrase, you can have what you say. Because you will. So Jesus said a man doesn't even have to know how it works or understand all of how it works. If he just speaks it, if he just speaks the word of God concerning the things that he needs or who he is in Christ, you just keep speaking it and one day it'll show up. One day it'll become a physical reality. One day you'll see the results in your, in your earthly life, your Christian life. I'm pretty sure that not everybody that plants a seed or starts a garden, plants a garden, knows how all the things work when it comes to the seed dying in the ground and the germination of the seed and all that stuff. I know I don't. But I know if you plant good seed in good ground and water it and give it plenty of sunshine, things grow like magic. Now, I'm sure that's not a real scientific term when it comes to agriculture. But it still works. Faith works the same way. Your words will come to pass. Your words will come to pass. The blessings of God come only by speaking God's word. Healing comes through the word of God. God sent his word and he healed us. Look at how many people in the body of Christ are trying to get healing every other way than the confession of God's word. Well, if we can get enough people praying for our healing. Folks, praying for healing and praying for anything is a good thing or can be a good thing. But it doesn't negate the truth that the Bible says that God sent his word and healed us. Paul says the same thing. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, the gospel of Christ is the good news that we identify or know because of his word. So the gospel of Christ is literally the word of God. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation is the word, Greek word sozo. It means everything. It's an all-inclusive term that means not only forgiveness of sins. It means healing for the physical body. It means rescue in every area. It means deliverance. It means safety and soundness. Paul said everything comes down to the word. Everything that Jesus did for us is found in the gospel of Christ. And it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, folks, how do you enter into salvation? Is it not through believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth? Show me anybody that got saved without believing in their heart and speaking with their mouth. Salvation works for everybody in just that exact same way. That means all the benefits of salvation, the healing and the material prosperity that Jesus took upon himself on the cross too. That means those things come by believing in the heart and saying with the mouth too. It has to. It absolutely has to. Folks, living by faith is living by your profession of God's word. If you're not confessing God's word, you are not living by faith. Well, how long should we do that? 
Only as long as we're here on the earth. How long does it work? It works for eternity. See, folks, God's not on the earth, but he has the God kind of faith. So faith is a spiritual force. Faith is an eternal force. If you haven't learned to, to live by and operate by faith here on the earth, I'm not sure how you get there in heaven. Because there won't be any resistance. The thing that strengthens our faith is the ability, the determination, and the willingness to continue to speak God's word no matter what the circumstances look like. It's only when the circumstances change our confession. That's when we fall into the, the warning that Jesus gave us in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. That's what doubting in the heart is. Doubting in the heart is allowing circumstances or feelings or anything of this physical realm to change your confession from what God's word says to something else. That's where the fight of faith is. You start standing in faith for something, no matter what it is, based on God's word. And the devil will attack your words. He won't so much attack your belief. The attack's always against our words. Because that's how the exercise of authority is used. That's how authority is exercised. Folks, it all comes back to what Jesus did for us. It all comes back to the truth of his word. We've said it before and we'll say it again. There's only one reason God gave us his word, and that is to bring it to pass in our lives. But he needs our cooperation. He doesn't have authority here. He gave man authority on the earth. So it's your words that count, not just his. But the flip side of that, the positive side of that, is the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. God speaking his word was one witness. You speaking his word was the second witness. That establishes it forever. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we want to take communion this morning. So, guys, if you all get ready. In a sense, us partaking of communion, communion is a means of confessing what we believe. We believe Jesus died on the cross for us. We believe he shed his body. We believe he offered, uh, shed his blood and offered his body for our well-being. So when we partake of communion, we're saying through our actions, this is what we believe. And because we believe it, we because, because of what Jesus has done for us, we choose to accept the price that he paid on our behalf. You ready, guys?
Paul wrote to the church about this communion ritual. He said, For I have received of the Lord that in the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and said, Take, eat. This is my body. This do in remembrance of me. The body is that which Jesus took stripes upon himself to effect a healing and a cure for, for us from every sickness and every disease. When we partake of this bread, thinking about and understanding that through his stripes we were healed, we are through our actions confessing that Jesus is our healer. We can receive healing for our physical bodies just by taking this communion. Because it's part of what Jesus provided for us. Father, we thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you that redemption extends even to our physical bodies. Lord Jesus, we magnify you not only as our Savior, but as our healer. And through the taking of this communion bread, which represents your body, we take unto ourselves healing from every sickness and every disease. And we declare that we are healed from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. In Jesus' name, let's receive the bread. After the same manner also, Jesus took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul went on to say, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this. Juice that represents the blood of Jesus. It was this precious blood that was shed for us. This precious blood that provided not only forgiveness of sins, but righteousness. And so by receiving this cup, Father, we declare before heaven, hell, and earth that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We truly are your children, Father. In Jesus' name. Let's receive the cup. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord for just a moment. God has been so good to us. And he never changes. We bless you, Holy Father. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that as we speak your word into our lives, truly bring to pass all that Jesus provided for us. We thank you that we're righteous by the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we're healed by his stripes. We thank you, Father, for material provision for each and every one of your children. We thank you, Father, that as we speak your words, they come to pass in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, Everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a great day. Come on back and be with us again tonight if you can.